Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The Volume. Alright, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Wednesday, everybody. I hope all of you guys have had a great week so far. We are live on AMP, so if you're watching on YouTube or listening on the podcast feed, do not forget that AMP is the very first place that you guys can get these shows. We are continuing our player rankings today with number eight, LeBron James. The very first time I've had him outside of my top five. You guys know the drill. Before we get started, subscribe to The Volume's YouTube channel so you don't miss any more of our videos. Follow me on Twitter at underscore JasonLT so you guys don't miss any show announcements. And if for whatever reason you guys miss one of these videos and you can't get back over to YouTube to finish, don't forget you can find them wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. All right, let's talk some basketball. The theme of today's show is going to be about accepting reality, particularly the reality of age because, you know, today actually happens to be my birthday and I turned 32 today. And the reality of that is... I'm not the same person, human being, that I was when I was 25 years old. A lot of positive changes, especially as it comes to life experience and just learning how to navigate the the human experience, which can be super challenging with all the responsibilities, both financially and socially and with your family and all these different things. But physically, you're going to experience a certain amount of decline, right? Like... I've noticed that I can't eat the same way I did when I was younger without reaping consequences. I can't drink the same way I did when I was younger without feeling like absolute dog shit for a day, sometimes even two anymore. Uh, Even when it comes to basketball, I go up to the gym and I see the younger players dunking around between games and before games, and I'm over there like, okay, I'll get loose, but if I've got a dunk in me, I'm saving it for the game because I just don't have uh, as many reps left in me as I used to. And I'm only 32. Mr. LeBron James in December of this year is going to turn 39 years old. And that made this the toughest decision I had to make in my top 10 because I was torn between LeBron and one other player, a player that you guys are going to hear about tomorrow, Uh, for this number eight spot. 
And to be 100% clear, if both players were healthy and we were headed into a playoff series tomorrow with even rosters, I'd pick LeBron over this guy. And quite frankly, I'd pick him ahead of a couple of guys in front of him even further up the list. But there's a reality that comes with LeBron James's turning 39 this year. A lot of the reality that you saw throughout the previous four or five years as he's entered into his late 30s. And those were the main reasons that caused me to go with him at eight. The bottom line is, is we don't get perfect circumstances. We don't get to fast forward and just have healthy LeBron in June. That's not how it works. You have to play an 82-game season. You've got to make it through four playoff rounds. And the guys that I have above LeBron on this list, I just think that in the year 2023 flowing into 2024 are safer bets to be better basketball players within this season. But let's dive into it. Uh, a quick season recap for LeBron. Played in 55 games this year. Dealt with multiple injuries throughout the season. Uh, I think it was a little flare-up of his groin, and then he had the foot thing. Uh, the foot one in particular he played through in the playoffs. He had a different stress injury in his other foot as well. He was constantly, even when he was on the court, dealing with different nagging injuries. LeBron has failed to play in at least 57 games in four of the last five seasons. So again, it's not just projecting forward for LeBron heading into his age 39 season. It's also the reality of what it's been like for the last several years. Although this past season was the first time that stretched into affecting his playoff performance. It is now at this phase a pretty safe bet that LeBron's going to miss about a third of the season. And he's probably going to have something going on. Uh, physically, that's going to be hindering him in some capacity when we get to the postseason. Again, not a shot at LeBron. LeBron in his prime was arguably the most dependably available star in the league. This guy it, it used to be a joke that he could, uh, Bill Simmons used to joke that he could break his leg off in the middle of a game and just reattach it and start playing again. Obviously, that's ridiculous, but you get the point. That's what it was like watching LeBron. You'd see a replay of him spraining his ankle and his ankle bone would like touch the floor. And you'd be like, there's no way he's playing after this. But there he is after the next TV timeout back in the game. Literally never missed a playoff game for an injury over the course of his career. As a matter of fact, still to this day has not missed a playoff game with exception of situations when his team missed the playoffs. So it's not a shot at LeBron. It's just the reality of where he's at at this phase in his career. But despite all of that, he had a very, very productive season. Averaged 29 points per game. He was top 10 in scoring, ninth in points per game this season. Eight rebounds, seven assists, 58% true shooting, which is very good. One of LeBron's most impressive seasons, in my opinion, from the standpoint of floating the ship under less than ideal circumstances. <clears throat> So this is where the Lakers front office comes in. To be clear, since the basically from the Rui Hachimura trade on, the Lakers front office has been fantastic. We've laid that out on the show. They extended that by locking up Anthony Davis long-term under, what, $62 million a year or something like that uh, through, I believe, the 2028 season, if I remember correctly. They've done an amazing job this offseason. They're set up for a trade in the middle of this upcoming season to potentially upgrade where they might need to. It's been great for the Laker front office. But before that, it was really rough, especially coming into this season. The Lakers were kind of set up to fail. They brought Russell Westbrook back, despite the fact that it was a super clunky basketball fit, and he brought some locker room issues just from the standpoint of his attitude. They didn't have any forwards on the roster. The only forwards they had on the roster 
were guys like Juan Toscano Anderson, who were unplayable due to the lack of offensive skill, and Wenyan Gabriel, who was more of like a backup center type of guy. LeBron and Anthony Davis were literally the only two forwards on the roster. They didn't have any shooting. They brought in a bunch of guys who were defensive-minded, guys like Patrick Beverly and Troy Brown Jr., guys that could defend at a reasonably high level, not an elite level, but a reasonably high level, but that were super inconsistent as jump shooters, which again, once the putting sh- lack of shooting around LeBron James and Anthony Davis is just a ridiculous idea. Um, and then in, in addition to that, they had one of the toughest schedules in the league to start the season playing just good team after good team after good team. And so inevitably they started two and 10 and their playoff odds looked miserable. And then they started to get it going a little bit peaking with Anthony Davis dropping 55 on the Washington Wizards, but then AD gets hurt a stress reaction in his foot that causes him to miss 20 games. So you've got that incredibly flawed roster, and you've got Anthony Davis out for 20 games in the middle of the season. The vast majority of players in the NBA would have just been like, not our year. Like we, This isn't the year. 2-10, and 10, no AD for at least a month and a half. How are we going to do this? What's the point? But I would imagine that Rob Palinka must have had a conversation with LeBron somewhere around that point. Because LeBron played some of the very best basketball of his career to float the ship during that stretch. <clears throat> In the 20-game stretch where Anthony Davis was out, LeBron James averaged 35 points per game, 8 rebounds and 8 assists on 63% true shooting, unbelievable scoring and volume, playmaking and defense. The Lakers ended up going 10-10 and 10 in that span, which again, doesn't sound great, but when you factor in the roster and the no Anthony Davis piece, marching out lineups with a bunch of undersized and less than skilled players, they found a way to win just enough to wait for Anthony Davis to come back and to wait for the trade reinforcements to come. They made the play-in tournament by one game at 43-39. and 39. And that resulted in a Western Conference Finals run. So that little stretch there in the middle of the season where LeBron played some of the best basketball of his career and who was clearly one of the best players in the league at that stretch, that saved them long enough for when LeBron got hurt for Anthony Davis to step in and save them. There was a lot of heroic floating going on from LeBron James and Anthony Davis throughout this season. And all of this, by the way, was despite LeBron having the worst jump shooting slump he's had since 2015. He had a 45% effective field goal percentage on jump shots this year. Last year, he was 51% and 50% the year before that. Again, you want to be above 50% in effective field goal percentage on jump shots. LeBron was bad this year at 45%. He was especially bad on pull-up jump shots. This year, he shot 43.5% in effective field goal percentage on pull-up jump shots. He was 48% and 49% the last two years. Those are, again, high 40s. That's where you're, That's where Paul George lands, for instance. So high 40s, totally acceptable for pull-up jump shooting. Low 40s, really bad. And that's where LeBron was this year. So after being, again, throughout the majority of his career, I'd say since the 2011 collapse, LeBron has been a pretty consistent jump shooter, right in line with most of his peers, probably slightly above average compared to his peers. But in 2015, and again in this season, for whatever reason, he just went down a huge level as a jump shooter. And to be honest, a huge part of how the end of LeBron James's career will go 
will come down to how well he shoots the basketball. But, but, but despite the poor jump shooting, LeBron was on his way to another great LeBron season. Again, that 35-8-8 eight eight stretch up until the Dallas Mavericks game where he tore the ligament in his foot. He averaged 38-7 and seven on 58% true shooting. That is top-tier production, top-tier winning impact. Playing 500 ball without Anthony Davis on that roster was nothing short of extraordinary. He was on track for another great LeBron season. He was also dominant attacking the rim. He was third in the entire NBA in restricted area makes per game at 6.4 per game on 75% shooting. That was third in the league behind Zion and Giannis. So other than the two guys who, once again, that's all they do. I mean, that's an oversimplification, but that's their bread and butter is just bulldozing to the rim. LeBron is the next best guy in the entire league at doing that specifically. But then the Dallas game happens. The Mavs get out to a huge lead. LeBron and Anthony Davis start kind of slowly, methodically pulverizing the Mavs in the post. They get a little burst from Jared Vanderbilt in the first half as he kind of gets some steals and runouts that kind of set the tone that the Lakers are in a, uh, on, on track to come back and make that a game. LeBron really takes over in the second half, particularly out of the post, but he does a basic jump stop move right there by the right block, and he falls down. And he visibly says to his teammates that he felt something pop in his foot, and he just was never the same guy after that. Missed a, a good chunk of time Anthony Davis was carrying during that stretch. Again, where AD is above LeBron on this list, and we will talk about Anthony Davis when we get to that point. <clears throat> but here are some numbers just to demonstrate the drop-off from LeBron after the foot injury. So again, before the injury, 38-7 and seven on 6.4 restricted area makes per game, 75% shooting. After the injury in the regular season... He played eight games, 25 points, eight rebounds, six assists. And then in the postseason in 16 games, 25 points, 10 rebounds, and seven assists. A clear delineation. He basically went down from being a 30-point-per-game guy to a 25-point-per-game guy. All like just before and after this torn ligament in his foot. Um, it was still a very impressive playoff run for the record. Still couldn't make a jumper. He's 43% effective field goal percentage on jumpers overall. That's really, really bad. 34% effective field goal percentage on pull-up jumpers. That's like yikes bad. So the bad jump shooting continued into the postseason, but he was great in dribble creation. The Lakers scored 287 points on 281 LeBron pick-and-rolls, isos, and post-ups in the postseason. That's 1.02 points per possession. Remember, anything over one point per possession in half-court shot creation against playoff defenses is great, especially when you look at the, t the types of teams that they were going against. Um, he really evolved as an off-ball player. He's always had this in his game. You saw a lot more of it when he was in Miami. Briefly went through a stretch with Cleveland where he was a little more heliocentric, but uh, this has always been in his game, but he's been relying on it a great deal since coming to the Lakers, especially this past season with all of the guard talent on the roster post-deadline. When you're dealing with Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell, and Dennis Schroeder, LeBron was a big part in the seeding of control. Him and Anthony Davis both went way down in their live shot, like on-ball shot creation reps and devoted a lot of those to the guards and just became screeners. And LeBron didn't do what a lot of stars do when they're not involved in the offense where he just stands around on the perimeter. He was active as a cutter, as a ball screener in particular, especially when Anthony Davis was off the floor. It was Austin Reeves, LeBron James, pick and roll. D'Angelo Russell, LeBron James, pick and roll. Dennis Schroeder, LeBron James, pick and roll. He was finding a way to be functional in the offense even when he did not 
have the basketball. That's a large part of why I thought this particular playoff run was one of my favorites as a LeBron fan. Just, again, not his best, but one of my favorites rooting for him because he was so clearly not close to his normal self, but he just found a way through his basketball IQ and through sheer force of competitive will to impact winning at an extremely high level. My favorite moment of this playoff run from LeBron was game four against Memphis. Once again, just having a nightmare game, can't get a jump shot to go to save his life, clearly is just a little bit hobbled. But when it came down to it and his team needed him to make a play, Memphis was up two on the final possession, about to send the series back to Memphis tied in a situation where Memphis would have become the favorite to win the series. LeBron James just forced his way to the basket and made a ridiculous right-handed scooping layup off the glass over Jaron Jackson, all the way fully extended to send the game to OT. And then in OT, he does it a couple more times, once beating Jaron Jackson himself off the dribble, a second time ripping through on Dylan Brooks and getting an and one, just forcing through sheer competitive willpower a win when nothing else was going for the Lakers. That was my favorite LeBron moment in this particular playoff run. And that, to me, is the encapsulation of a competitor. It's one thing when you're making it look easy because you're just better than everybody. And obviously, there's a huge... uh, That's the ideal version for any basketball team because you're going to win a lot of games more easily. But just, you know, I've always... You guys know, here we talk about competitiveness a lot on this show. It's the difference between loving basketball and hating losing. You know, a guy who loves basketball will spend a lot of time in the gym working on his game. A guy who hates losing will get dirty on the court and fight and scratch and claw and just find a way to win games. The best players in the world are always a combination of both. They love basketball and they hate losing. And you know what? LeBron's basketball decline is it was inevitable and it's coming, but through his competitiveness and his basketball IQ, that sheer force of will, he has found a way to maintain a deeply impactful uh, NBA playoff career, even into his late 30s. Again, here's a wild stat for you about an injury-riddled 38-year-old LeBron James in the playoffs. There were two players in the entire playoff field this year to average at least 24-9-6. and six, LeBron James and Nikola Jokic. And again, like... Uh, Uh, Obviously, LeBron wasn't the second best player in this playoff run. He had a lot of issues. But the point is, is when it comes to production, reliability, finding a way to impact winning, LeBron is still one of the very best players in the league at it, even when the circumstances are not ideal. The playoff run was minimized, in my opinion, in terms of people accepting it or really realizing it because of three things. It was a level below what we expect from LeBron James in his prime Everything is relative, right? It's relative relative to normal LeBron. Yeah, it's bad. But relative to other NBA players, it's still really damn good. It was a level below what he did in the regular season. So it looked, again, when you see a guy average 30, 30 and 8 and 7 or whatever during the regular season, and then suddenly he's a level below that in the postseason, your first instinct is to think bad. But again, relative to other NBA players, he was still deeply impactful. And then lastly, as good as LeBron was, Anthony Davis was better than him in this playoff run. So he was the second best player on his team. That always will diminish just the amount of credit that a player receives for one reason or another. LeBron was older. LeBron was injured. He was playing a different style of basketball, but he was still outrageously good. But 
Alas, the Lakers had three major weaknesses going into that playoff run. Weaknesses that I talked about before the playoff run. Weaknesses that I've talked about all summer. You Lakers fans will remember right off the top. The three things I talked about were backcourt athleticism, the lack of a backup center, and the lack of over-the-top shot making. And all three of them came back to haunt them in the playoffs. The lack of backcourt athleticism, that was what led to Bruce Brown just utterly destroying D'Angelo Russell, which was one of the biggest swing factors in the Western Conference Finals. The lack of a backup center led to an injured LeBron playing center in most of those units, and they got destroyed. The Lakers were uh, the Lakers experienced an 18.2 point per 100 possession drop off in the playoffs when Anthony Davis went to the bench because they did not have a playable backup center to keep LeBron at the four. And last but not least, LeBron and Anthony Davis both declining as jump shooters made it so that the Lakers were incapable of getting the boost you get from over the top jump shooting. And we've talked about these boosts in the past. Rescue possessions. Like, it's an advantage when you've got guys like Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic who two, three times a game are going to turn a bad possession into a made shot. Uh, Like, think of it like this. Jamal Murray makes an impossible step back. Jokic makes some crazy one-leg fadeaway from the baseline. Jokic makes a crazy one-leg fadeaway from the left wing. That's a three. That's eight. That's seven points. In, In a series where... All four games were close. Three of them involved clutch situations. The one that didn't involve clutch situations, the Lakers had a double-digit second-half lead. So a seven-point swing on rescue possessions, that can completely swing playoff series. And the Lakers got none of that because of the decline of LeBron James and Anthony Davis as jump shooters. That also hurts you in clutch situations. The Lakers won four straight clutch games to start the playoffs on the strength of their defense. The Lakers' defense was outrageously good in clutch situations this year. But when it came down to it in the Western Conference Finals, Jokic and Murray just shot their faces off in the fourth quarters when the games got close. And so despite keeping every game close, it was a sweep. And the Lakers didn't get a single win in the Western Conference Finals. And so, I mean, those flaws were inevitably going to come back to haunt them, and they did. And I think... You know, specifically when it comes to LeBron, we have to factor factor that in as we're talking about this list. So the last question is, why do I have LeBron James down at eight? When, as you guys know, he's my favorite player, so obviously I have a good amount of bias there. And the reality is, is this. If I could guarantee his health, like guarantee LeBron's going to be healthy in the playoffs. And guarantee normal career average jump shooting. Not like shoot the lights off, uh, laces off the basketball, just normal LeBron jump shooting, right around 50, 52% in effective field goal percentage on catch and shoots, or uh, in overall in jump shooting, and right around 48, 49% in pull-up jump shooting. If I could guarantee that and guarantee health, I think LeBron James would be easily in my top five. I'd, I'd have him at four, as a matter of fact, and I'd have him in the exact same tier as the three players above him. When LeBron is healthy and in his normal shooting rhythm, I think he's a bona fide top-tier superstar. Why? Because he combines all of my favorite basketball traits. He's a big rim-pressuring forward who's an outstanding playmaker. He's a super versatile scorer who is consistently in the NBA's top tier for both volume and efficiency. Again, ninth in scoring this year despite uh, having the injury at the end of the year that uh, pulled his point-per-game average down. And he was second in scoring the year before that to Joel Embiid. Last year, he had 62% true shooting. LeBron averaged 30 points per game on 62% true shooting last year. 
And then this past year, 29 points per game on 58% true shooting. LeBron is consistently, when he's healthy, one of the best the best volume and efficiency scorers in the NBA. He can play effectively both on and off the ball. He's heliocentric, but only in spurts, which is something that I've always believed in. And then lastly, when he's engaged physically, when he needs to be at the end of games and in important situations, he's got plenty of defensive versatility. That's all of the reasons why when LeBron James is at his peak, I believe in him as a bona fide top-tier player, even at this age. But that's not reality. And again, the theme of the show is reality. The reality is, is we don't know if LeBron's going to have his jump shot back next season. And we don't know if he'll be healthy for the majority of the season. As a matter of fact, it's a pretty safe bet. He's going to miss a third of the regular season. And he'll probably be playing through some sort of nagging injury when we get to April. I hope that that doesn't happen, and but like I just would be shocked if it didn't happen. I would be genuinely surprised if LeBron was just trucking along, played 75 games this year, and was just ready to go for the postseason in top t- top shape. I just would be I would be shocked, wouldn't you guys? And so, how do we not factor that in in this list, guys? He turns 39 years old in December. 39. It was completely unprecedented for him to play at the level he played at age 38. It's not going to get better from here. If if it did, it would be highly unusual. As for the jump shot, as I talk about a lot on the show, lift is one of the most important elements of jump shooting. And it's not just in the vacuum of the jump shot. It's in the flow of actual basketball games. I've got a bunch of... uh, I did a workout yesterday at the Richard Jefferson Center... Uh, with uh, five of my uh, younger college friends who are still playing in ba- uh, playing in college, and they're all just in town for like a week before they head out of town. And every summer when these guys come back, I just do workouts with them, and uh, they are all in incredible shape, and they're at a higher level than a lot of the players I normally play against in Tucson. And I was playing with them yesterday, and like just the fatigue element, just from like like running around and playing like crazy intense physical basketball against real basketball players, there's a fatigue element and like getting the, like you go to rise up into your jump shot and the lift you're accustomed to getting just isn't there. It's not, Oh, do you have enough lift to get the ball to the rim standing by yourself in a gym doing a shooting drill? It's LeBron James at age 39 trying to get lift into a jump shot playing against young kids who feel great and their bodies are all in great shape. And look at the pace the NBA has played out now. Look at how the floor is spread and all of the, the driving and kicking. The sheer amount of distance traveled in an NBA game right now is unprecedented. And LeBron at age 39 is trying to keep up on a team that has a defensive identity. And so I, that's the thing is like, I'm, I'm more like 50, 50 on this. Like with the injury thing, I feel relatively certain LeBron's going to miss at least a third of the season. And I'd say that there's probably what, like a 70% chance he's dealing with some sort of nagging injury come April with the jump shot thing. It, it could be either one of two things is true. Either it was just a slump or this is a byproduct of his decline and he's not quite getting the lift he needs. And so he's starting to leave jump shots short more often, or he's having to use his arms more in a shot, which is always a disrupts muscle memory. So uh, we don't know. I thought this was one of LeBron's most impressive seasons in terms of competitive force of will and doing whatever his team needed. 
to float the ship under less than ideal circumstances. And when in healthy and uh, when in rhythm and healthy, I think he's one of the very best players in the league. But in my opinion, those guys above him on this list are just a safer bet to be at their individual ceilings as players. And their individual ceilings as players are higher than LeBron's basement when he's playing with nagging injuries. And so that's why I have LeBron James down at eight and outside of the top five for the first time in well over a decade. Uh, One last thing before we get out of here. I I had some Luka Doncic fans ask, why did I have LeBron up at four after missing the the, the playoffs the year before? It's a fair question, but it's a very simple explanation. You guys know this. I always give enormous leeway to champions. And yeah, I know you think, oh, LeBron, he won his titles in 2012 and 2013 and 2016. Yeah, you're right. But guess what? Do you remember when Giannis won the title? the title that has Giannis really high on this list in terms of recognition of his ability. Giannis won the title not that long ago. And that was just nine months after LeBron James won a finals MVP, should have won the league MVP in my opinion, and was clearly the best player in the world. We are not that far removed from LeBron James being in that situation. It was very clearly roster oriented. That's why they won the freaking title. Russell Westbrook trade two awful years right? Then get rid of Russell Westbrook immediately back in the Western Conference Finals. I, 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 I thought LeBron deserved a great deal of leeway as a four-time NBA champion and a four-time Finals MVP with one relatively recently than Luka Doncic, who got his ass kicked in the Western Conference Finals once, okay? So like, and for you Luka fans, again, this is the most important detail. I am unbiased in the way that I apply that rule. If Luka wins a championship, I'm going to be giving him the same leeway. Guys, if if Nikola Jokic missed the playoffs this year because he got hurt or Jamal Murray got hurt and Michael Porter Jr. got hurt and the West was stacked and he ended up in a tough playing game on the road against Minnesota and Jokic went for 38, 17, and 14 and they lost and he missed the playoffs. I'm not dropping Jokic very far probably will still have him at the top unless someone else has a, a, a truly great playoff run to supplant him. Why? Because he's the defending champ. Not young Luka Doncic who hasn't accomplished anything in the league yet. Again, you guys remember, to me, talking about what Luka is capable of is fantasy basketball. That's theoretical. Talking about a guy who hoisted the trophy, that's reality. We play the games so that it's not theoretical. Theoretical only goes so far. What's the saying from Oppenheimer? Theory will only take you so far or whatever. That's that's the real... If, if it was all theoretical, we would give all these guys a 2K rating and give the trophy to the guy who had the highest 2K rating. That's not how it works. You play the games. The games are what matters. The games lead to the trophy. The trophy has to mean something. And yes, I gave more leeway to the guy who had four trophies than the guy who has zero. And that's always going to be the way that I do this. And again, when it comes down to this stuff, it's all subjective. And I guarantee you, even if I guarantee you, even some of you on this uh, who listen to this show who see the game very similarly to me will have a very different list. And there hasn't been a single person I've put on this list that I haven't gotten complaints about. I got complaints about how high Jamal Murray was, how high Anthony Edwards was, how low Devin Booker was, how low Kawhi Leonard was, how low Damian Lillard was. How, how low Donovan Mitchell was. Everyone complains because they're subjective lists. And, that, and that's just the way this stuff goes. 
Um, I will say that I'd much rather have you guys give a basketball case. I've, I've seen a lot of people disagree for one reason or another in the comments, and they write out all the reasons why. I always enjoy those because you're giving me your basketball perspective on why you disagree. But when it's just like, screw you, dumbass, why do you have so-and-so above whatever, like, that doesn't that doesn't move the conversation forward at all. I mean, we disagree, though. I guarantee you if you made a list, I'd probably see something on your list that I think is pretty foolish as well. Um, but that's the the nature of just how stacked the league is, how difficult these decisions are. I mean, I, I obsessed over this LeBron one forever, but I feel like I feel like for me I made the right decision, putting him down at eight. But I guarantee you guys that when I come back to record for the next show, I will be getting absolutely slayed for having LeBron so low because as crazy as every other fan base can be, you've never seen anything like LeBron James fans and how they can react about this kind of stuff. Um, but that said, most of you guys, obviously, and I, I tend to uh, overly focus on the negative and I have to be better about that. And I will be working on it as we go into this season. Most of you guys have been very positive and supportive and I do sincerely appreciate that. We are almost to the end of this list. We have seven more players. Uh, we will be back tomorrow with number seven. Uh, some of you guys might have a guess as to who that is. But in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your night. I'll see you guys then. State wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Good sleep should come naturally, and with the new Natural Hybrid mattress, it can. A collaboration between Lisa and West Elm, the Natural Hybrid is expertly crafted from natural latex, natural wool, and certified safe foams to elevate your sleep sanctuary and support a greener tomorrow. Plus, every purchase helps fuel Lisa's work with shelters and those in need. Visit lisa.com forward slash hoops to learn more. That's l-e-e-s-a dot com forward slash h-o-o-p-s. It's Freddie Prinze Jr. and Jeff Dye back in the ring. Wrestling with Freddie makes its triumphant return for an electrifying fourth season. Hey, Jeff, are you ready to rumble our way into an all-new season of Wrestling with Freddie? You better believe I have. I've been practicing my body slams, and I'm jacked. All right, don't go injuring yourself now. We'll be highlighting the best stories and matches of the week in wrestling from AEW, WWE, and have one-on-one talks with the best talents in the world of pro wrestling. Listen to Wrestling with Freddie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.